it is fun to be invited out to eat. Amen? First, it's really nice to get a call from someone or for someone to say, hey, let's go grab a bite. Let's go grab a lunch or a dinner. Hey, do you want to grab dinner? Let's go do it. You feel valued and appreciated that someone wants to eat with you. And also, I just like to eat. Amen. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Amen. In the Bible, someone has extended an invitation to you to have a meal with them. This person is Jesus. You'll see it on the screen. It's from the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verse 20. Perhaps the most famous verse of Scripture in the book of Revelation. It says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him, and he with me. So Jesus has a desire to meet with you and to dine with you. Wow, that is awesome. The creator of the universe, the, the Lord Jesus, wants to meet with you, wants to dine with you. Now, we've been learning that Jesus claimed to be the I Am. He's the creator, he's the Lord, and he wants to dine with you. We see this invitation presented all the way through Scripture, but first, very specifically and prophetically, in the wilderness tabernacle. The wilderness tabernacle, as we have been learning, speaks of heaven and God's throne, and also the person, nature, work, and love of Jesus. We see the invitation to eat with Jesus in the second piece of furniture that is mentioned in the wilderness tab tabernacle, and that piece of furniture is called the table of showbread. The table of showbread. Let's read about this table and the invitation to eat with the Lord. Let's pick it up in Exodus 25. Let's pick it up in verse 23. It says this. You shall also make a table of acacia wood. Two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its width, and a cubit and a half its height. And you shall overlay it with pure gold and make a molding of gold all around. And you shall make for it a frame of a handbreadth all around, and you shall make a gold molding for the frame all around. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and put the rings on the four corners that are, that are at its four legs. And the rings shall be close to the frame as holders for the poles to bear the table. And you shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, that the table may be carried with them. And you shall make its dishes, its pans, its pitchers, and its bowls for pouring. And you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always. I want to talk to you about the table, this table, the table and its purpose. The table of showbread is the second piece of furniture that God instructed Moses to build. We learned about the Ark of the Covenant 
which is that peace, perhaps the most important, it's the peace that, that is God's throne, was to be a representation of God's throne in the midst of Israel. And so now we come to the second piece, which is the table of showbread. The table was made like the ark with acacia wood, and this acacia wood is taken from the acacia tree, which is a desert tree. You can find this if you go out into probably most deserts throughout the world, you'll find the acacia tree. So in Israel, you will see this. In California, go to the desert, you will see the acacia trees, Arizona. I've seen them in all these locations. You see the acacia tree. And this was the wood that it was to be made of, and it was also to be overlaid with pure gold. And just like the acacia wood and the gold of the Ark of the Covenant pictured the two natures of Christ, it again pictures those two natures. The, the, the wood speaking to us of the humanity of Christ, of, of, of God taking on flesh, putting on flesh, and then the gold representing the deity of Christ. And so we have those things coming together. The table measured roughly three feet by two feet. I've kind of rounded that off a little bit, depending upon which measurements you take for the cubit and um, so on and so forth. So it was, construct, it was constructed with a three-inch molding or crown on the top. And just like the Ark of the Covenant, the table of showbread was also outfitted with four gold rings and gold-covered wooden poles for transporting it because the tabernacle was a portable dwelling place of God. Exodus 26, verse 35, tells us that the table was positioned on the north side of the holy place inside the tent. And the high priest of Israel was instructed in Leviticus 24, verses 5 through 9, to place 12 loaves of bread called the showbread, or bread of the presence, on the table. The 12 loaves of showbread remained on the table for an entire week and then were replaced the end of that week so that there was always a brand new fresh set of 12 loaves of showbread on the table. And again, that was replaced every Sabbath day. God's command was this, and I'll read it again from our text that we read, Exodus 25, verse 30, and I'll actually throw it on the screen so we can look at it. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always, always. You shall have this showbread on the table before me always. Moses was instructed to have dishes, pans, pitchers, and bowls of pure gold made, and the dishes and pans were used for carrying the showbread, and the pitchers and bowls were used for drink offerings to the Lord. Now the question that we come to when you're looking at this table, this gold, this wooden table overlaid with pure gold with 12 loaves of bread on it, just sitting there in the tabernacle. The question is, what is God saying with this table? It's just, boom. Can you think about it? Think about a table just sitting in a room with bread on it. The table and the bread symbolize God's invitation to us for fellowship 
and communion with him. In the Gospels, Jesus is depicted often eating with people. He is always eating with the disciples. He is, there's the passage where he's eating over at Matthew's house. His name was Levi when he was a tax collector, and then God called him to be his disciple. And so Matthew, Levi, throws a party and invites all of his friends because he wants all of his friends to meet Jesus. And so we see him eating over at Matthew's house. And then, of course, we see that moment in time when he sees Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man up in the tree that wanted to see Jesus. He said, come on down here. I'm going to go to your house. I think Jesus is, if you look at the scriptures, he's always depicted wanting to, to eat with people and wanting to eat with those that he is calling to him. And I think this is great. And so then you go all the way to the end of the book and we see that passage of scripture that literally he's knocking. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and be with him and dine with him. So that's the invitation. And we see this. This is Jesus and this is what he wants to do. It's through Jesus that we see God offering us companionship and fellowship. And it's in this gold-plated table with bread on top of it that we see the invitation. The showbread is an invitation to communion and companionship with Jesus. Communion and companionship. In fact, the meaning of the word companionship presents this truth. Look at the word companion. I'll throw it on the screen. How's it look on the new screen? Yeah, it looks good, huh? Is that spelled right? Hopefully. I don't know. If it's not spelled right, it's my fault. Okay? <laughs> companion. I want you to look at that word, companion. The word itself from two roots, com, meaning with, and pan, meaning bread. A companion is someone that you share bread with that you break bread with. And so that's what a companion is, and that's what Jesus' invitation is to us. Amen. That We have this invitation, the bread is always on the table, it's always ready, it's always there, it's always before Him. It, his invitation is always there wherever we are, no matter what time it is, no matter if it's day or night, no matter where we are on the face of this earth, no matter what time zone we are in. No matter what coast we're on, the invitation is there. The bread is always on the table. Because God wants communion with us. He wants to be, to have that companionship. And he knows that we need that companionship with him. Amen? He knows what we need. And what do we share with God? What is the bread on the table of the showbread? It is literally, not only is, the, not only is he the table, but he's the bread. He's the table and the bread. It's the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 6, in John's gospel, Jesus feeds, and this is one of my favorite chapters. In fact, I think if you asked me, and you said you have to choose, which one is your favorite gospel? John. I like the others too. 
It's a hard choice, but if you had to make, if you had to force it out of me, John. I love the Gospel of John. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds a multitude, and the text tells us that the number was about 5,000, but that is a number that wouldn't have included women and children, and so a lot of scholars have suggested that it could have been as much as 20,000 people. Uh, 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 That's an arena. That's like the Amway Center, full of people. And if you're familiar with that chapter, Jesus feeds that large crowd of people from the lunch given by a boy in the crowd. Five loaves and two fish. It's, it's an incredible, incredible scene. Um, in, some, in some ways, this is one of those stories that we're told if you, grow, if you grew up in church, this one was certainly a story that you were taught in Sunday school or children's church. Um, and and you, might all, you might even think of it is kind of a children's church uh, type story. And it is, but it's more than that. Amen? It, this story contains some of the most powerful truths of Jesus' message. So, he takes this small lunch that this boy has, that this boy offers five loaves of bread, two fish. And then he gives the, he blesses the bread, blesses the meal, and he, and he gives the bread and the fish to the people sitting on the grass. He get, well, he gives it to the disciples, the disciples serve the people. And, and after everyone finished eating, Jesus asked his disciples to collect the leftovers. And they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. Twelve disciples each collected a basket of bread and fish. A basket of bread, twelve. This is the number. This is the number of the loaves on the table. This is the number of the sons of Israel. This is the number of the disciples, twelve. Twelve baskets full of bread and fish. It's an invitation for us to commune with the Lord. It's an invitation for us to have companionship. And let me also suggest this, that when you work with Jesus, he will always take care of you. Not only do you get to be with him, but he sends you home with groceries too. Amen? So you're going to be taken care of when you serve the Lord. You're going to be taken care of. And so that's an important, important truth for us to remember. Now, after receiving this miracle lunch, and that's what it was, a miracle lunch, the people wanted to make Jesus their king. Why would the people want to make Jesus king after he fed a crowd of 20,000 people with a lunch? Why would they want to make him king? Because that's what everybody wants, right? They want a free lunch. Now, there's this old saying that there's no such thing as a free lunch. But on this day, there was. Amen? On this day, there was a free lunch. And, yeah, I can relate. 
I can relate to that feeling like, you know, someone treats, you know, you're at the thing and someone just, you know, you're, you're there. Like, you know, there's different jokes about that. You're out to eat and somebody, you know, grabs the check and, you know, <clears throat> right? Check comes on the little, little platter, you know, and, uh, and they, they, they reach for it and they grab it and you kind of reach for it, but like with a short arm. <laughs> like you reach for it to... Just kind of make it look like you were reaching, but not enough to really where you're taking it out of their hand. But, you know, yeah, they're, they're, they're treating, right? They're treating. And then it's kind of like, hey, you know, who else can take me out to lunch? <laughs> who else can take me out to dinner? You know, this is, I like this. I like being taken out for dinner. Now, no hints or anything here. All right. But uh, that's nice. Well, not only is it nice... To us, it was nice to these people. And they said, well, let's make Jesus king. Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Well, he went across the lake. He went across the Sea of Galilee to the other side. And so what did the crowd do? They followed him. The very next day, the whole crowd, they follow him onto the other side. And they're trying to find him. Where's Jesus? And what do they want? They want another free lunch. They want to make Jesus king. They want a free lunch. And wouldn't he be like a great candidate for like king? Absolutely. This guy can make, this guy can make, you know, seafood lunches with fish. And it was probably like, you know, if you go to Israel and you go to like the Sea of Galilee, they have this fish. It's called St. Peter's fish. You go to this restaurant in Tiberias and, um, you sit down and they bring you this basket of pita bread and you're sitting there and, and, and then you and, and, and if you go there you have to order the, the St. Peter's fish and and, uh, and and they bring it out and, and it's the whole fish. It's the head, the tail, the whole thing. You know? How many could eat it? How many would send it back, cut the head off, cut the tail off, bring it back? Some people did. They said, I can't eat this with this eyeball looking at me. I can't eat I can't eat this like this. It's the nuts, you know. <clears throat> But you go and you have the St. Peter's fish. So they want a free lunch. So they come up to Jesus. And, um, and I, I want to make an important point here that I think is, is it's, it's, I think it's an important spiritual point when you look at the miracles of Jesus in the Bible. Because you could go through the New Testament and look at all the miracles and just kind of do a whole study on the miracles and, and all that. And it, and, it's, and it would be a powerful study. So I, I'm going to make a bold statement here. Each miracle Jesus performed is not arbitrary or random. Each miracle documented in the Bible is a specific physical miracle that points to a spiritual truth and a specific spiritual need. What is the spiritual truth conveyed from this miracle? In the context of John chapter 6 and this entire scene, Jesus presents himself as the bread of life that has come down from heaven. They come over across the lake, they find Jesus, and Jesus kind of, there's this scene where he kind of calls them on it. You have to read this. Read, read, read. We don't have time to read the whole chapter. It's a really long, it's like 60-some verses in John chapter 6. But read, read it tomorrow at lunch. No, no, no do, whatever, do whatever you want. 
<clears throat> you take me out, I'll read it to you. <laughs> that was just too that was just too good. I'll be like one of those British guys on the Bible app, and Jesus walked. <laughs> you know, you can have you can have you can have somebody read it to you right there on your app. We know that, right? This Bible Gateway app. Um, what was I saying? I was trying to get asked out to eat before before that. Before before that. Oh oh yeah, he calls him. He calls him on it. He says, "Oh, I know why you. I know why you come over." Yeah, you, you came over, fed you, fed you lunch yesterday, and you want another one. Want another free lunch. But what I want you to pursue, what you need to pursue, is not another free lunch, but what you need to pursue is the food that you really, really need. And he was talking about a completely different kind of food. It wasn't the food of a physical form. It was the food of him. It was the food of Jesus. And... So he goes on in that text, he goes on in that passage in this chapter, and Jesus makes one of his seven I am statements that are recorded in the New Testament, and I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's John chapter 6, verse 51, where he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. I'm the living bread. I am the bread. I'm, so, so he's the table, the God-man, the acacia wood, the gold, but he's also the bread. And it's the invitation. Jesus, he, yes, he wants to take care, he's going to take care of you physically, but he wants to take care of you spiritually and he knows exactly what you need. And what you need is him. Right, right. What you need is Jesus. What you need is to feast on Jesus and you need to continually do that in your life. You need to be feasting on Jesus. And the question is for each and every one of us, what is it that we're feasting on? What is it that we're feasting on day in and day out? And this is a good question because there was an old saying, that, and you don't, you don't hear this much anymore, but there was the old saying, you are what you eat, right? Remember that one? You know? You're not only a physical body. You have a soul that will continue exist, to exist into eternity, to, in eternity. And the question is, what will become of your soul? The answer to that question is determined by what you are feeding on. What will become of your soul? Well, what are you feeding on? What will feed your soul or spirit so that you may live? John tells us, Jesus tells us in John chapter 6 again, he says that he is the bread of life. He is exactly what your spirit needs to live. In fact, the bread of life is what you need to have spiritual life in the first place. If you eat the bread of life, you will have life. Amen? Amen. If you will partake of the bread of life, you will have life. If you won't partake of Jesus, if you won't commune with Jesus, if you won't be a companion with Jesus and break bread and eat of Jesus, then you don't have life. The bread of life is what you need to eat so that you can have life to begin with. And Jesus makes it crystal clear for his hearers. In John chapter 6, he says, I, in John chapter 6, verse 51, he says, I'm the bread of life that came down from heaven. 
Two verses later in John 6, 53, you'll see it on the screen behind me. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Wow. You were reading along, and there was free lunch, and five loaves, and fish, and lakes, and stuff, and it was, you know, and then now Jesus is like gone. He's just dropped, you know, it's like a, it's one of those mic drop, you know, <laughs> you know, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of, of Man and eat and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So this is what I said earlier. You have to eat the bread of life to have life. You don't have life unless you're partaking of the bread of life. Now, what does, what does Jesus mean by all this? Well, before we answer that question, Jesus continues in John chapter 6, verse 55. It'll be up on the screen for you. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in him, and I abides in me and I in him. Amen? Amen? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And so here is where there's a little bit of confusion for some people. Here's where many people get lost or confused. Let's look at the simplicity of what Jesus said. At first you might think eating flesh and drinking blood, well, that's kind of like... Uh, cannibalism, right? That's like a cannibal. Like, is Jesus advocating like a cannibalism? Like, are we to, are, you know, how, how would we even find Jesus' body to like partake of it? And would we have to kill him and eat him? It, you know, certainly he's not talking about cannibalism, right? Here it is. Here's what Jesus is talking about. This is kind of the, this is kind of the profound spiritual truth of John chapter six. And I'll have it up on the screen for you. It's not a verse. I'm just compiling and summarizing for you. It is not a dead Christ that we need to feed upon, but on the death of Christ who lives. This is what Jesus was talking about. His sacrificial death is mine when it is appropriated to my life. This occurs when I have faith in him and I believe in him and the work of his death. When I have faith in him, when I believe in what he did, what he accomplished in his death, burial, and resurrection, I am partaking of the death of Christ. I'm partaking of the body of Christ. And when I'm partaking of the body of Christ, when I'm partaking of it, it is then appropriated to me, me personally. This is why, this is the thing that has to happen, and each person must partake of Christ for themselves. Just as you, if, 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 and all the parents can relate, you can't eat the peas for your little two-year-old, right, or three-year-old. You can't eat the peas. If they're going to eat the peas, they're going to have to eat the peas for themselves, and that's why you can say it a bunch of different ways. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Amen. And that's why, and here's the point, you have to partake of Christ for yourself. And eating is the perfect analogy because we can't eat for someone else. We can help someone eat. We can, we can um, bring the food to them. We can prepare it. We can, we can deliver it to them, but they must partake of it themselves. Partaking of Jesus, believing upon him, having faith 
in him and his work, the work of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. When I feed upon his death, it becomes life to me. When his death is appropriated to my life, it becomes life to me. And Jesus portrays eating as the appropriation of his death. And this takes us all the way back to Genesis. Yay! (laughs) You all Genesis pros. This takes us back to Genesis. The third chapter of Genesis to the fall of man. To our problem that we have to begin with. It was by disobedience to God, eating the forbidden fruit, that man died. You are made alive by an act of eating as well. The act of feeding upon the death of Christ for yourself. It was literally an act of eating that was the disobedience. What was the command? Do not eat. You can eat of any tree that is in the midst of the garden. Have at it of any tree that you want. It's all provided for you. But of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And when Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they disobeyed. It was an act of disobedience in the act of the eating. Eating was was the disobedience. When you partake of Christ, it is an act of eating, and it is an act of obedience. When we receive the gospel, we're obeying the gospel. We're obeying the command. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. And so, in the, in the table of showbread, In the offering of himself as the bread of heaven, here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, you know what? Man wandered off the path when they ate of the tree that they were commanded not to. Disobedience, sin, destruction, and death entered the world. But here's what I want to do. Here's what I want to do. I set out a table here of bread for you to come and partake. The invitation goes out. The invitation to the table goes out. And what, what, what the call is is to come and eat, to come and obey the gospel, to come and have life. So this all kind of comes to a point, comes to a head. Israel had a meal that pointed forward to Jesus. A very specific meal, and it was called the Passover meal. In the Passover meal, Israel ate unleavened bread and roasted a lamb. They had unleavened bread and a roasted lamb. Roasted in the fire. I'd like to just try that one day. What if it was so good you could like turn it into like a fast food? No, no, no. That, that would be good. I could come up with an idea. We could wrap the lamb in the bread, in the pita.
you know, we're getting very close to what they already eat over there. <laughs> this is what they eat. This is what they eat. Go to John F. Kennedy Airport. On your way out on the flight to Tel Aviv. So Israel had this meal, the Passover meal. Unleavened bread, roasted lamb. It was a feast. And Jesus gave us a meal. Israel had a meal. Jesus had a meal. On the night that he celebrated the Passover with his disciples, when he was literally becoming, he was becoming the Passover lamb. That night when he celebrated with them, he, 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 they ate the feast of, of Passover. A meal was brought forth out of that meal. We, we refer to it as communion, right? We feast upon the, the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread when we eat communion. Paul in 1 Corinthians tells us how we feast on Jesus and, the, and appropriate the work of his, death, of his death for us. I will not have it on the screen for you, but I will read you Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 23, he said this, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as, as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So this is the meal. So in John chapter 6, he says, my, my, my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. So what is the communion meal? So here he is at Passover. On the night he was arrested and taken into custody, he's delivering this and he's saying, this is my body, this bread is my body, and this cup is my blood. And what this is, is, is a symbol for us of the broken body, of the shed blood. It's the broken, it's, the, it's the, the death of Christ that brings life to us. And when we feast upon it, we're not feasting upon a dead Christ, but a living Christ that was crucified for us. Amen? So feed upon the bread of life. We feed upon the bread of life every day. We need to. You, you spend time with the Lord. You spend those moments with Him. We have that opportunity day by day to feed upon the bread of life. Feed upon Jesus. He's what you need. When you are feeling lost, you get to that point, you, stuff's going on, you feel lost. What do you need to do? Feed upon Jesus. Go to the Word Go to a time of just being with him. When you feel lonely, what do you need? You need a companion. You need someone to break bread with. And Jesus is there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. 
Now you need other companions too. Amen? We need the companionship of others, of the brothers and sisters. But we first and foremost need the companionship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? If you feel needy or confused, feed upon Jesus. Remember the command, and I'll close with this. And there was a Babylon Bee article that came out this week, and it said, the pastor said, and I'll close with this, and continued on for 45 more minutes. <laughs> Did anyone see that? Yeah. I actually shared it, and I don't share the, ba- and I, I read them all, I read all the Babylon Bees, but I don't share a lot of them. But that one, I said, this is too funny not to share. <laughs> and then some of you chimed in, sounds familiar. No. <laughs> <laughs> I will close with this, seriously, in all seriousness. Remember the command for the showbread on the table of the wilderness tabernacle. I'll have it on the screen. Exodus 25, verse 30. And you shall set the showbread on the table before me always always. The Lord Jesus is set before us and we have the invitation. We have the invitation to come and eat and to partake of Jesus and have life. 